This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, this is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Alex Drina Chong is a creative director. She's a designer, illustrator, educator and also an artist. She produces art under the name Alexoid Luce and has been open about her mental health challenges, having been diagnosed with bipolar disorder in her mid-twenties. When the pandemic hit, she had to spend a lot of the lockdown period alone and in 2021, she cranked open an empty journal and started to draw. In Alex's own words, what started off as casual visual journaling swiftly took the form of a dark and satirical characterization of her experience as an Asian woman with a fragile and defensive inner child lurking within. So to her, the work has now evolved into her fourth journal with two recognizable characterizations, a chaotic little girl and a two-headed Chinese lady. So 100 Pages of Solitude Book 1 is a compilation of 100 images from the journal she started back in 2021. And there is a pre-order campaign that was launched yesterday on the 13th of February in conjunction with Self Love Day. Today on Valentine's Day, Alex joins me now to share more about her work. Welcome, Alex. How are you today? Um, I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day to you too. Thank you so much for joining me, Alex. So no stranger to BFM, you know, you were on our Health and Living segment. Uh, sometime so last was, year, yeah. um, you know, talk, talking to us about, uh, you know, your journey with bipolar disorder. Um, but I, today I want to talk a little bit more about the art, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's something very interesting. Um, just going back, you know, when did you sort of figure out that art was something, if you'll pardon the pun, drawn to? Um, I When I was a kid, um, I've always, I didn't know what art is, but I was very um, drawn to creating my own um, topics, my own theme, my own story. Storytelling was a part of how I make sense of the the surrounding. But then when I realized it's a form of art is when I start rejecting my mom's drawing. You know, it was really funny because my mom was the one, you know how parents like to draw outline for us to color in. And then it, it reached a certain point of my life. I realized, oh, mom, I, I think I'll draw it myself. Oh, and, you know, and, and that was the moment I realized this is a form of craft. It's a form of... Um, understanding my control of muscles and everything. And then I realized eh, my mom doesn't have very good, uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds really judgmental, but it, it was the moment I realized that was the relationship I have with this certain um, craft and certain uh, muscle movement that I felt like I was a little bit more um, uh, distinctively uh, different from mm-hmm. um, my peers or even from my, my parents, you know. So, yeah, so that was the moment I remember. That very moment I rejected my mom's art and I was like, mm, yeah, so... <laughs> sort of like, you know, you're like, I can do this bit a lot better, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. right? So, so, so that was an interesting moment, but that was the beginning, yeah. But that's really interesting. And, and you know, in everything that I've read about you, you know, you do talk about your early years. You do talk about it not being the easiest as well at some points, right? I mean, can you share, I guess, you know, why, uh, yeah, why you found some of it difficult? Um, well, I, when I was growing up, it was quite... Um, I always felt a little bit different from my peers, Um and ever since I was in primary school, I I was forced into a system like, you know, our system is yeah. about regurgitation, yes, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, yes, fitting, um, fitting in and then getting the A's. And that was the, the only system of measurement mm. um, that I was forced to understood and to also follow and obey. Yeah. And that, I think, was the greatest limitation for a human, actually. Yeah. And now I'm more mature and, and that those years of molding to become an identity, to become the characterization of a person was so limiting because we were told this is the way to be, this is the way to, you know, the the definition of success was given to us in that framework. Mm -hmm. 
and I felt completely um, disconnected. I, I, I didn't feel like that was part of my framework, but that was the framework that I was reminded on daily basis. So it was hard to be a primary student with all these, um, you know, with all these value system that I felt, you know, not very connected with. And then you went on to secondary ed- education where there's like science stream, economics stream and all that. And then you straight away have to identify to with a certain kind of stream, you know. Yeah, and again, yeah. that was for me, that was another limiting factors. You either study chemistry, physics and do really well in it or you go to a, the art stream and then it seems like, you know, there is a stereotypical uh, concept of, oh, you go to art stream because you can't do science. science and yeah. and these, these, these are really injurious to, to development of um, a, a person's, uh, I, I would say, a personhood. You know, yeah, that, that, yeah. that was how I felt like, okay, something is really wrong. I, I don't feel connected. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm performing as a, as a student, as a friend. But deep inside, I'm always in, like, in my own world of trying to make sense of this value system that was not me. Mm-hmm. And I would read books, I would I'll go into lyrics and to find um, certain kind of a way or words to feel like, how do I make sense of this chaos that I don't even want to be a part of, you know? <laughs> no. And how do I do that? Yeah. That was my, um, you know, from primary to my teenage years until college years when that became... Um, and manifested as a form of mental health uh, issue, you know. So yeah. that was in my mid twenties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you were in the U.S., right? You did mm-hmm. go to U.S. after. I mean, was that sort of a change for you? Was that more liberating? You know, did you manage to sort of like become who you wanted to be at that point? Um, yes. And um, so what happened in U.S. was. Um, I was exposed to what I would call knowledge, you know. Okay. So it was not like I need to, uh, I need to attain a certain um, format of academic achievement. But when I was in US, I was exposed to um, oh, sociology, political science, and all this, and it was all reading and and comprehension and analytical thinking. Um, a lot of conversation and you know how Asian students we go to a, yes. a, a classroom setting and everyone has an opinion and I just don't even have an opinion yep. and I was questioning how come I don't have opinion huh? you know so <laughs> that's scared. yeah you I was, got too I was like when why why didn't I have a voice yeah. so that put me into um, a, a form of like uh, another form of isolation but then I want to make sure that I, I, I fit in mm-hmm. to have a voice mm-hmm. um, but that because of that drive, I started to read a lot. I started to absorb a lot of um, a lot of text, a lot of um, uh, reading, you know. And I went very deep into reading, very um, driven by my reading of uh, sociology and political sciences and psychology, philosophy, and um, um, yeah. So that was kind of like an explosive moment for me to just absorb in, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And because I was in a foreign country all by myself. That's also when someone in your early 20s, you, we experience, I experienced a shift of values. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And something that traditionally uh, acceptable in our culture, suddenly there is like, hey, 
Yeah. Well, about this, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. You know, there's options. A, there's yeah. options, you know. There's a value shift. Yeah. Okay. So that was kind of what I experienced when I first arrived in the US. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you spent a lot of time there. You know, you you ended up working there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pursued not just your degree but your masters as well, yes, right? And, yeah. and you uh, you became an educator as mm-hmm. well, isn't it? I mean, so what sort of led you into the education path? Oh, uh, it's as simple as when I was writing thesis and. Um, the school offered me a job okay. when you were young and there was like a, a full-paying job with a visa. I took it right away. I took it. And then when I first got my first salary, I talked about it a lot, which is kind of funny. With my first salary, I got a haircut and I got a blender <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because I've been like a poor graduate student for so long. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford a haircut because it's quite expensive yeah. for a haircut in U.S. and a blender. Yeah, I felt very professional. I'm very interested to know why a blender, but (laughs) just something you needed. I I wanted to feel healthy. Uh, (laughs) You know, like that's like the, you being mature, you have like good dietary, you know, you have blender, you drink smoothie. (laughs) I'm buying an appliance which will get me healthy, right? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I understand. I understand, I understand. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, speaking of art, right? So I'm I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, I was reading that, you know, you were exposed to art obviously here, but you know, when I'm guessing when you went to the US, it was a whole different sort of art that you were uh, exposed to different art scenes and things like that. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Um, okay. So when when I first experienced art as a kid was very much about my exp- uh, expression um, and hiding it a lot because I was told that, you know, this is why you don't get A's because you've been doodling uh. and drawing comics and all that. And then when I pursue um, an art education first in Malaysia in a college, uh, it was technical. It was like, oh, I'm going to be a graphic designer and, and hence you need to learn this software and these processes and all that. But when I was in US, it was about, come on, let's think about this. You know, <laughs> let's, let's, let's think about your role as a designer. What are you... Uh, how do you position yourself in in a, in a culture that emphasizes so much on cultural text? Like if you are designing with women um, in the posters, the position of a woman, the 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 shape of the woman, and all that has a cultural text that impact yeah. how we communicate with each other and how we comprehend um, what is femininity. So so those are the questions that that kept coming and helping me to to develop my, my critical thinking. So that was um, quite different. So in a sense, I would say um, my experience in U.S., I was exposed to um, a lot of critical application of how I want to pursue uh, a career in the arts or in the design, but they put me to a, a critical position to, oh, okay, I have to think about this, I have to think about this, and which was something I have been thinking about, but I just didn't know how to put in context, yep, and yep. Then that education gave me that. Um, their processes. That's, that's yeah. wonderful. Mm. And I'm just thinking, you know, all that reading that you did, right? All, all of that, mm. of course, came to inform, you know, mm. all the all the mm. art that you did create, all the work that you did, yes, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. Let's just go for a quick break, Alex. When we come back, you know, let's talk a little bit uh, about that diagnosis, uh, which, you know, came about in your early 20s when you sort of first, you know, noticeably had a mental health episode. Uh, I'm speaking today to Alex Drina Chong. She also produces art under the moniker Alexoid Luce. She's a creative designer, uh, a designer an illustrator, educator and artist. Her new book, 100 Pages of Solitude, book one, uh, was just sort of um, pre-launched. There was a pre-order campaign that was launched yesterday uh, on the 13th of February in conjunction with Self Love Day. Uh, We're going to find out more about what this book is all about after this quick break. Keep it right here on Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. In the studio with me today, Alex Drina Chong. She's a creative director, designer, illustrator, educator and artist. She also produces art under the moniker Alexoid Luce. Uh, her book, 100 Pages of Solitude, book one, is a compilation of doodling, well, I mean, and drawing and art that, you know, she, she sort of started journaling during the pandemic, you know, during the lockdown. And now she has released, um, well, a, a compilation of 100 images from those journals, which she started in 2020. A pre-order campaign was launched yesterday. Uh, we're going to find out more about how we can support Alex in this work. So, um, Alex, you know, in everything that you know uh, that you've you've spoken about or that you've told others, right? You're very open about um, your mental health struggles, right? And I think it was it was in your early twenties, right, that you suffered your first sort of noticeable mental health episode. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, well. Uh it has a lot to do with. It had a lot to do with me being alone in a foreign country, um, experiencing new relationships, um, uh, experiencing new value systems, and trying to find myself to fit in, and also at the same time, um, how to position and how to make sense of the alienation yeah. um, and the new system, the value system that I was absorbing, um, and then suddenly I just felt completely lost mm -hmm. and. Um, and of course, when you're in a foreign country, you have biological changes and you have, um, um, you know, even like chemical changes in your brain. Um, I may already have um, some kind of pre um, precondition that was, um, you know, I was not diagnosed. Yeah. And then um, in one summer um, and I just realized one day I was doing something on, on repeat and if I don't do that and I don't achieve that, I won't stop doing it. And I just felt like it was really, really something is wrong with me. And then I and I couldn't stop. I just kept repeating the same task. And then I having I started to have a problem sleeping. And um, unfortunately, I also find myself having um, bottles of uh, alcohol under my bed. Um, if I can't sleep, that was a solution. Um, um, and that will just, you know... I'll go straight to bed if I have a bit more <laughs> in my yeah, system. Yeah. So, and and because I was a very uh, self-aware student, I, I still want to do very well in my school. And and when that happened, I realized, okay, I think um, maybe I needed help. Um, and in in colleges um, in in the states, they they also pay a lot of attention to um, to students' behavior. So I think some of my professors started to see that um, I'm kind of declining, not in academic, but in my behavior in classroom. Sure. They would actually catch me, you know. And and I have professors who had become friends and mentors who would say, "Hey, I want to talk to you," and and then. And then I would just break down and they said, you know, there are options, here are other things. So, and then that's when I started to, to realize, hey, this is um, a health issue. It could be a yeah. health issue, but I still don't know what it means. But I just started to understand that it could be something that I, I, I can uh, reach out for help. So it's not a personal flaw. Yeah. It's not like an identity that I have to live with. It's actually an issue. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, that was an important moment for me. And, and I mean, once you realized that, right, I mean, what did you, you did go and seek help, of course, right? Mm. But there was some sort of misdiagnosis as well, right, that occurred? Yeah. So um, I was misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed as um, to have depression. Sure. So um, if bipolar, there's certain kind of uh, medication for um, bipolar dis uh, for depression that actually work entirely opposite uh, instead of improving the mood swings and the disorder, 
it actually uh, make it worse. Sure. Um, in fact, deepens the need and dependency on the, uh, the, the medication itself. So I was misdiagnosed uh, for depression and for a long time, a long, long time. So when that happened, I would be in my own house or in my own room for months. It's such a, a task to even step out for food. Okay. You know, so that was a really hard time, but then I was misdiagnosed. And that went on for a long, long time. You know, I was given like um, mostly mood disorder uh, medication that was, to treat, that was meant to treat uh, depression. And um, so it took a long time, maybe even a decade, <laughs> to, gosh, um, so to, to actually understand what kind of medication is suitable for me, meeting the right doctors, um, complete self-education to really want to be performing who I am, who mm-hmm. I want myself to be. So that was a journey for me. So, so yes, that, that was, um, yeah, misdiagnosis can really, <laughs> um, I hope this is something I could um, address um, for uh, parents who have kids who um, having uh, start manifesting some kind of symptoms, talk to doctor about medication uh, options that, you know, medication is just one option. Sure. There's a lot of practices and many other um, therapy uh, options um, that you we can go through. And I was going through that journey by myself in the States. Um, so I was not as educated, and one of the 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 objective of me sharing this is, I hope we can open up this kind of conversation so I can help more people to understand their options. Here are the good doctors. Here are the doctors you want to avoid. Here are the gurus you want to avoid. <laughs> you know, okay. yeah. So okay. yeah. So that that's actually a, a, a driving force for me to to start okay. being honest about my my situation. Yeah, and then I guess you know also. Seek second opinions. You know, talk to to a variety of people. Right? Yes. It doesn't mean that the first diagnosis you get is that is mm, the right. Mm, always, always seek self educate. Self educate. Yeah. Okay. Self educate. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And the thing is, of course, that you were eventually diagnosed as um, bipolar type two. Am mm-hmm. I correct? Um, can you talk to me about you know what happened after you got the correct diagnosis? Well, and again, it's also a process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I, I understood what it was. I understood the mood swing. I understand the manic phase. I understand the, um, uh, usually the cycle is after a manic phase is I'm completely like prolific. I notice my, um, my, my, uh, my system being completely like I'm awake all the time. I'm not sleeping and all that. And then I will have my fall, which is, you know, so it went from, because I'm aware of it, I understood the patterns. I know, I understood, um, as I start to have um, a, a very conscious, um, conscious urgency to want to manage this, I become disciplined. Okay. I understand my pattern. Okay. So what I do is I, I see myself and I'm constantly reminded by good friends who are supporting me is that I went from six months of, uh, repetition to maybe a few days now like you know so that that that's the improvement i have but you have to understand bipolar disorder is a lifelong disease you do not get cured you do not get cured by medication or you do not get cured because you start medicate uh you start meditating that's a primary um uh, thing you have to understand it's a lifelong crisis it's a lifelong journey um and i accepted it okay the acceptance allow me to be very honest about this, um, my down, my ups and all that. So, yeah, being honest and having that discipline that is completely driven by self-love. 
is what had gotten me to this um well, today. <laughs> today, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think you're very open about, you know, not saying that I'm, I'm cured, you know, I'm, you know, everything's okay. It's not, right? It's like you said, it's a journey mm. uh, and, and you have learned to recognize when things might not be great and when things are good and you, you know the signs. Yes. Uh, in fact, I just told you before we had this a um, few days ago, I was completely like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. functioning. And I started to inform uh, two of my uh, friends who are in my support network. I say, I can feel that um, it's in my bone, it's in my hair, you know, and they say, you know, it's going to pass. And I know that. The other thing you have, to, we have to understand as patient is it will pass. <laughs> it, it's not... Um, Whatever you're feeling, that's not the final emotion you're going to have. Tomorrow you're going to wake up, you're going to have the happiness again. So, um, but at that down moment, it can be very defining. The sadness, the, the, the depression, the down can be very defining. But then always know, always know it will pass. And, and you know, having that support network, right? And, and telling the, that support network about, you know, the signs and, and telling them that, you yes, you know, I'm going to go, I'm feeling this, you know, war- having, I guess, a warning system to the people around you. That's also very key. Oh, that's very key because um, strangely, that is also a way to for- kind of um, forgive myself for having so much emotion. And when it comes from somebody else, when you can't have that self-love at that very moment, somebody else needed to remind you. And that reminder is is phenomenal. It's really the reason why I'm still here. And I have this honesty that I can go on with my life and to share and the strength. It comes from these people. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And... I don't know if you want to. Uh, I don't know if you've already answered this, but you know, how do you cope with the days that are particularly overwhelming or frustrating or just just tough? You know, what helps you sort of? I don't know if bounce back is the word I want to look for, but sort of get through it. Um, I always tell myself it will pass. Okay, uh, that's All the right. very important. Um, awareness that okay. I need to have. Yeah. Okay. It will pass. This too mm-hmm. shall pass. Okay. All right. And. Um, now, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, the pandemic, which, of course, you know, was not an easy time for anyone, but uh, it was also not easy for you. Um, can you share what those those years were like for you, both personally, but also professionally? Well, professionally, I um, most of my paying clients um, um, retracted all their contracts because we didn't, I mean, I, we don't know what to go, <laughs> what to do. We, we can't go on. And then, and on a personal level, um, uh, someone I love very much. I was sent back to Norway right away uh, because we didn't know the, the company didn't know what to do with okay. the situation, and um, it was a loving relationship. And we just ended because of COVID because I, I, I can't go to Norway and all that. So, and then at that very moment, it was losing. Um, at this point, I didn't felt like it was a loss. It was, uh, but. At that point, I felt lost. I was like, yeah. I, 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 I don't know what to do with my professional life. And then on personal level, I, I, I kind of, I lost someone I really love, right? Mm-hmm. So that moment was just, okay, <laughs> what's next, you know? And, and then we thought it was going to be over in September 2020, you know? And then it went on we to 2021. So good, yeah. And then the lockdown was, okay, extension for two more weeks, six more weeks. Mm, I wasn't sure what's going to come. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I wasn't sure what's next. You know, yeah, yeah. it didn't feel like there was um, likes after the tunnel, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So. And, and that was sort of when you um, started to draw, right? That's when you uh, went back to that. I don't know if you want to call it your first love, but that, that instinct mm. to draw came back, right? And and you found your way back to art, as, as you yourself put it. Tell me about that. 
So I've never really stopped drawing or painting or whatever. I never stopped, but I didn't use it as a, uh, a very... Um, I didn't understood that space as a way to engage myself for the now. Mm. And, and pandemic gave me that pause, that stop. And um, I found that freedom that I have with just that piece of paper. There was nothing waiting ahead of me. Mm-hmm. There was no KPI <laughs> waiting for me to achieve. It was purely me and that piece of paper and that brush and myself. And there was nothing waiting. It was just purely my conversation with uh, myself, and I just start drawing. There was no planning. I don't plan. I don't know what I'm going to draw. I just start with first strokes. And that was the freedom I have not felt for the longest time. So then I started to have first page, and then I would do three to five pages a day. Then I have eight pages a day, and then now I have more and more. You know, so that was that was the, the that was I think it was a comeback and comeback in the sense that I suddenly had that freedom I had when I was a kid. Um, yeah, okay. when when we were drawing because we were drawing, not because we were working. Uh, we want to be famous. We want to be known as an illustrator. It was me drawing because I. I'm a kid right now. I need to understand why am I not happy, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. Mm. Okay, so it was quite a cathartic sort of experience for Mm -hmm. you? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't meant for it, but it was just (laughs) me. There's four walls and then there's me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I was reading, I was going through your your website and your blog and you wrote that, you know, you started a visual journal portraying the constant unease I experienced while isolated at home alone. How did you develop that, that visual vocabulary, you know, to show... All this range of emotions, right, that you were going through. Yeah, um, it was uh, interesting because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it was not deliberate. I wasn't like really visually um, trying to characterize all these things. But then over time, it sort of evolved. And then I start to see characters. So in my series, you will see like there was this little girl and she looks a bit Mavolan and and she, she looks... Um, lost, but she has. Uh, my friend would. Um, my friend um, described it as deadpan. Deadpan, okay. yeah, you know. And <laughs> yeah. and then then I have this double head, like a Siamese uh, um, Chinese lady. Lady, um, yeah, yeah, you know. So I think that's the me, you know, the dualism within myself, you know. And then I have this also a a, a, um, a characterization of a shadow. As a black figure that constantly follow me in that character. It just goes on. I didn't plan that, but it, it, as throughout the evolution, I, I start seeing it come come together. And then a little girl just um, last year, my sister found a picture of me with a bot cut with uh, when I was um, four years old, and she sent it to me. She said, "Jay, I think that's you. Um, what you who you're drawing is actually you." Oh, interesting. And then there was me, the the the, the little girl lurking within. She's like. I want to get out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I want to have my story um, out. Please mm-hmm. listen to me. I think that was how it started. Yeah. Okay. The girl came up. That little girl that was told, "Don't draw, yeah. Focus on getting your A's, yeah." Yeah. I think that little girl needed that that outlet, that outlet, the yeah. portal to to feel free and to be herself again. And does she feel that? Do you think that little girl is feeling that now? Yes. 
sometimes <laughs> I, I, the, the, the baggage of emotion that comes with that freedom is still something I'm learning. Like um, as I'm talking to you, I can feel like my whole body is like I have goosebumps, I have everything because I'm still quite new with this experience to have all this honesty in my bones, you know. In the past, we were told, don't tell everything, yeah? You just behave, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't scare people, right? Keep don't it in, keep people. it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you're a bit crazy, yeah? Don't, don't, oh, don't, no. don't, don't, don't scare people. So that, those are the voices I hear, right. you know. And, and, and I hope that by talking about it, I want people to know that no one is as scary as you think you are, you know. And, and, you, know, and you are not as scary as you think you are. We all have our demons, and we know, and we all need to talk about it and, and, and to care about it because that's the lurking mm-hmm. within us that needs a deep caring um, voice to kind of find a, another story. Yeah, mm. yeah. And even looking at, at what, what eventually came out, right? everything that you were, that was coming, I think, you know, from deep inside you, right? You do, do you see, you see your personality, of course, reflected in the work? Is it quite autobiographical? You know what's coming out? Yeah, I think it's also, it's actually very confessional. Confessional. Yeah, ah, it's okay. very confessional. It's like, and, um, in fact, like the past few days when I have that down and I, I told my friend, you know, at a certain point I realized I'm, I'm not afraid about love anymore. I think um, we have this common narrative about love like oh self-love is this and but you know the word love is so limited by the the contemporary and the popular uh literary uh concept of love Mm. but love is everything it's the beauty and the terror and all of that and i think um while working on this book while embracing art um stopping a lot of um commercial work and just focusing on this that love is about embracing that terror and that that beauty at the same time it's going to happen it's going to happen and whatever you're afraid of is going to happen whatever you love is going to happen let it be and then it's now and and every now every present let me being here i want to be fully myself yeah mm-hmm. that that's actually um how i feel right now <laughs> okay mm. okay so i guess you know what i'm also getting from you is that yeah, embrace that anxiety, right? It, it mm. and, and also, but there's no point being anxious about something that is going to happen anyway. Is that would I be right in saying yeah, that? Yeah. So we always plan our anxiety for yes. the, the the future, yes. which you know that's so oh, much I energy. Do that. Yeah, spent, I do that. <laughs> you know, and 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 everyone do that habitually. Yeah. And imagine that energy is being spent being now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and that's an option. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it in my heart. Yes, I was telling you, you know, one of the one of your drawings um it said, you know, the ungodly hour between night and dawn, between right and wrong. I felt that so much. I felt that to my heart, you know, because I do that, you know, between you just can't sleep, you're, you know, getting anxious over things that will be fine. Yeah. You know, no point really feeling this way. But, you know, also you have to go through these emotions, I suppose. Yeah, yes, but yes. I think not just me, I think any human. Any <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, um, let's just go for one more quick break, Alex. When we come back, let's, let's really talk about, you know, this book uh, that had its pre-launch just yesterday. I'm speaking today to Alex Drina Chong. She's an artist. She's also a creative director, designer, illustrator, educator. Her book, 100 Pages of Solitude, uh, well, was started off as an empty journal and has now taken the form of a book which is called as I mentioned, 100 pages 
Pages of Solitude. Uh, it's a compilation of 100 images from the journals that Alex made starting from 2021. The pre-order campaign was just launched yesterday. We'll find out more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's Valentine's Day today and we're talking about love uh, in, a, in a different way, I guess, you know, from what the, I guess, the advertisements tell us to think about when it comes to love. Uh, joining me in the studio today, Alex Drina Chong. She also produces art under the moniker Alexoid Luce. She's a creative director. She's a designer, illustrator, educator and artist. She has just uh, released a book called 100 Pages of Solitude, Book One. It's a compilation of 100 images from the journals she started started in 2021, back in the pandemic, where she started journaling. It was a visual journaling of what she was going through. Uh, many different things came out in the book, of course, in, in her drawings, of course. Uh, Alex is joining me now to share more about that. So, you know, Alex, you know, you've been very open talking to us about all the, the struggles and I suppose, you know, your day-to-day -day life uh, of living with a bipolar type 2 mm. um, diagnosis, right? Um, and then, as we spoke about before the break, you started that journaling during the pandemic. It was very freeing, right? Because there was no deadlines, there was no KPIs, right? It was just whatever you wanted to draw, right? Um, and we spoke about how your personality is also reflected in the work. Talk to me about why you wanted to now put it into a book. So uh, I know it's it's playing off the title of one of your own favourite books, right? Yeah, so um, interesting enough, when I first started, um, it was purely just visual journaling. And then I received a fund, um, a grant from Chandana, and they um, that motivates me to expand my body of work from visual journaling to digital prints. And then I started to have exhibition. And then um, I thought, you know, with this grant, uh, what's a good use to it is to uh, maybe I can turn it into a book. So I just started to pick images that I felt like could be the flow of the story that I want for my first book. And I picked 100 images. I like kind of like lined them up in, in the story. And then when I saw the first, I don't know what what's the title I want to use. Very honestly, I didn't even think about the, the title. I just lined up 100 images. And then in the software, I was using uh, Adobe software. And I was there looking at the um, the number 100. And I was like, <gasps> it would be 100 pages of solitude. You know, I'm going to steal from Marquis. I'm going to steal from him it would, you know, and justify what I learned from that book about solitude. So that was it. And then what happened was once I have the 100 images, I started to work on the writing. So it was a different process. I, I went to a cafe that I used to, uh, I go almost every day um, when I can't work from home. Sure. Um, so I just write. Uh, I spend two days on writing, you know, and then I'll put away and then I come back to the writing. The writing is kind of quirky. Um, it has those people who know me and, and like the book is because they really see the sarcasm. That was part of my, you know, self-mockery, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm reaching a point I can mock my own sadness. My mm. own, I mock my own despair, you know. So and that mockery and that that uh, language of sarcasm and the language of hope started to connect with people during my exhibition. And I started seeing people flipping through it. And then I have friends who come to me and say, where did this all come from? And then I realized hey, you know what, why don't I self-publish this book? So it's not just a book as an exhibition. Maybe I could really do something else. And and and, and that's how I, I started working on the book itself. And I say, oh, maybe I can self-publish. I start talking to publishers. I start talking and I realize, okay, like, why don't I just have the freedom again and just self-publish it? 
go through the learning of how to self-publish, go through the learning of how to fund a project, and and here I am doing yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, back back to what you said earlier, right? Educate yeah. yourself, right? Yes, you know, yes, you. yes. And it's very freeing, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, liberating. Liberating. Um, uh, but please. Include all the anxiety in the journey, include all the self doubt, uh, and at the same time, the journey can be also freeing. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, just again, you know, just to reiterate, the entire series is sort of confessional, right? Yes. As you said, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's your own personal journey with uh, bipolar disorder. Um, why do you, I mean, what do you hope that, you know, folks will get, you know, from looking at the book? Because again, it's not like you're writing your story. It's it's visuals with, you know, a little bit of writing, you know, to sort of complement it. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It's it's a lovely piece of work. You know, I had a chance of looking at, I had a chance to look at it. But yeah, what do you hope people will take away from it? Well, when I had my exhibition um, last year, I have people who walked to me and said, hey, you know, I really felt connected with this image. Where did it come from? Then I'll be like, how do you feel about it? He's like, sometimes I feel like this. It's like, isn't this um, interesting to know and to feel like something is speaking to you? Maybe we can have a conversation about it. Then I have a young girl who walked to me and start telling me about her mental health issues. And I say, hey, can you hold on for a bit and I can have coffee with you? And then she started having conversation with me. And then when I open up about this more and I see my friends talking about their, you know, unreasonable disdain <laughs> for for life, like, why do I have that? I have a good life. I have money. I have this. But why do I feel like I want to end my life? That kind of topics are so difficult to come out, but they come to me. And I felt, wow, such privilege. Yeah. How do I do this for people? Um, how do I go on using my art, my my language to make people feel comfortable talking to me about things that are so hard to talk about, you know, yeah. but it all comes from love. Yeah. And that is very important as well, isn't it? Um, um, love, not just for yourself, but for for others, you know, just sort of opening that 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 pathway for people to come together in, in a loving sort of, uh, um, I guess, setting, right? And just to talk about these things, right? Not to hide it, not to think like, mm. oh, I'm crazy, right? Oh, yeah. I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't tell people I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once you understand that sadness is not the final emotion that you're going to feel for the day or for the year. Um, Once you understand that in life, sadness is a big part of happiness. Sadness is, um, depression is a big part of feeling empowered. Um, You won't, the, the the key is not to be afraid of all your emotions because they are all part of you. And they they are just reaching out to to be held, to have a story, to to be seen. You know. Uh, so, I think that was my journey. And if by any means I could use that language and my experience and my my honesty to to help people engage with that 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 fear of feeling so much in life and not sure how to position those emotions. You know, write me an email, <laughs> you know, I can have yum cha with you and tell you how it feels like for me. And, you know, I might not be able to reach out to everybody, but that, that I hope that that's a space that we can open up. And, and talk about it and share and not feel ashamed about it. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. I think that goes back to again, you know, what you spoke about having that very strong sort of support network as well, right? Mm. And and yeah, just letting people know. Not 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 hiding it, right? Yeah, and, and feel be blessed that you are feeling so much and so deep because the only reason why we feel so much is because we are still very much in love with our life. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, so as I kept mentioning as well, the the book had its uh, pre-launch, right? So you you are of course, as you said, self-funding it. Um, the the pre-order campaign was launched uh, yesterday. Talk to me a little bit about that. So yes. Um. So if you will, um, if anyone will uh, be interested in um, ordering the book, they can go to uh, coffee uh, coffee dot um slash alexoit luce. Okay. And we'll put the um, link in the podcast, yeah. So we will put the link out, and um, they can actually order the book from there um they also can they can also take a look at the book and uh, there's an online pdf version where they can just flip through it and see whether that's something they you know spark some interest um there is also a shopee um platform where i'm going to put up for people to uh, browse through some of the options they want but um what this pre-order campaign is mainly for for my first limited edition, which is hardcover. Um, and the, the cover design is going to be also just limited for just this round. And it, it, um, it's, it ha- it's supposed to have 100 characters of me um, on the cover, uh, which I'm still working on it. So it's a very ongoing process. So they can see the live feed of my, my journey with this until it is officially published um, and printed in May. So I need to reach a certain target. I'm hoping t- I can um, at least reach 300 orders for me to um, to really print and have sufficient fun to pros- um, to go on and publish this uh, series. And, um, and in May, I will have the book ready, hopefully, at bookstores, um, one of the bookstores in Malaysia. And then um, also uh, be in maybe art exhibitions that uh, people would be able to get the book. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. It's, it sounds really exciting, and you know, I'm very excited for you as well. You showed me a copy of the book, which is, as I mentioned, you know, really lovely. And I think it's it's so simple, right? It, it, it's easy to digest. It's it's, but it's a, there's a lot there, you mm. know. So I really enjoyed yeah. uh, looking through <laughs> Thank it, and you, yeah. um, you know, I, I I had it. So yeah, I definitely, you know, I uh, will get a copy as well. Um, so that's that's happening now. Uh, we can support the crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we'll, we'll put that link in the podcast. But I guess you know for now, uh, Alex, that's that's the the main thing. You know, any other projects in the pipeline? Uh, well, I ever since I started to come back into the art, um, and I made it a point that I know those people who really uh, want to uh, work with me, and I've met some fabulous curators, and um, so we are, I, I will have an exhibition. I will be involved in group group shows in in March. Planning a solo, which is a bit of a, you know, like, okay, okay, I can do this. Um, hoping that it will be this year as well. And let's see how it, how that opens up for me. And, and to be full-time working on something that I love, which used to be just an outlet and a portal to engage myself. And now I turn that into something I do on a daily basis. It's a very new journey. It comes with anxiety, fear, self-doubt. Along with it is... Um, gratitude, uh, along with it is grace that I experience when I share with you now and grace I feel when people enjoy my book, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it's all a new journey and I go by day actually <laughs> right now yeah. and see how it brings me. Yeah. yeah. And how do you think that little girl with the bob cut is feeling about all of this now? She's like, uh, yeah, I'm finally out. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care. I mean, I, at this point, the, the girl is... I don't care if I'm. I, I have not combed my hair. I, I I don't care if I have not changed my shirt. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the story. Yeah. I'm not gonna be hushed and shushed anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna right? tell everybody. Say, you know, shut up. <laughs> I, I need to I need to persist. I need yeah. to exist. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Alex, for joining me today. Um, but folks would like to get in touch. Um, what's the best way that they can do that? Well, um, I'm very active on my Instagram, uh, which is another weird name, uh, Prima Luce 77, which we can put the link out. Sure. I'm active there and I'm also on my Facebook. Uh, I have actually people who likes my art um, contacting me through my Facebook and Instagram so or write me an email so my email is available also on my website you can just write me an email um, I do have parents who uh, wrote to me uh, from my past interview here and such a great uh, experience uh, telling them how I went through and um, what I've been through and and assist them in, in their journey with their, their, their child. Yeah. So that's a great privilege that I can have. And, you know, yeah. yeah. So, yep. Okay. All right. So that website, you know, your website is, of course, Alexoid Luce. So that's A-L-E-X-O-I-D. L-U-C-E dot com. Follow Alex on social media and do support that crowdfunding campaign. It's already launched. Uh, yeah, and we hope to see you uh, in May, you know, Alex, you know, for the launch of that book. My thanks again to my guests. I've been speaking to Alex Drina Chong. She also produces art under the moniker Alexoid Luce, a creative director, designer, illustrator, educator and artist. We were talking about her book, 100 Pages of Solitude, book one, uh, again, which the pre-order campaign was just launched yesterday. Do go and support that. And if you miss any part of our conversation, conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash learn, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.